Good morning. If you got your Bibles, go to the book of Second Peter. Second Peter chapter one. Uh Second Peter chapter one. We're gonna start at verse sixteen. And let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for being God and for visiting us, for allowing us to know that you and you alone are God, for truly just opening up all of who you are to us, Father God. Help us to focus on you, to learn of you, Father God, to truly love you and enjoy you, and to return to you the attention, the focus, the love and devotion that you have shown to us, Father God, in Jesus' name, amen. Second Peter chapter one, we looked at this last week and we're going to just repeat back through it as a continuation. We're talking about the fact that the Holy Spirit gives inspiration and he gives revelation. The inspiration that he gave was the inspiration of the scriptures. God wrote a book and he put down to us all his thoughts, all his desires and the things that he truly wanted from us. God wrote a book. And it is my goal today to try to encourage us to pursue and seek God through this book. The fact that God wrote a book, I think we need to pay attention to it. We need to delve into it because God has attached himself, himself and his promises to this book. And God has gave us great promises, great Things and expectations that should flow from us knowing him through this book. And so our goal and our desire today is to exhort you to go to this book, to learn of God. And in doing so, we're going to separate them, sort of blend them together. What we're going to try to point out is some attributes or some aspects of this book that God wrote. That makes it so necessary for us in life. And after that, semi through that. We're going to point out the disposition or the, the heart and the mind that we need to have to truly benefit from this book that God wrote. So we're going to look out some attributes of the book and the way we need to be to truly benefit from the book. And through that, while we're doing that, I'm going to try to point out some cool and mystical stuff that we usually don't get too deep into. But I, I just love it and enjoy it because God wrote a book and this book is better than everybody else's book. Second Peter chapter one, verse 16 said, for we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God, the father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven, we heard. And when we were with him in the holy mountain, like I said, we talked about this last week. And y'all, this scripture keep coming up in this church for some strange reason. And I'm going to tell you the strange reason. It's because it is very important. And I really want y'all to get this through your skull. Experience does not trump the word of God. Experience does not trump the word of God. Peter said, we was there. We saw it. I walked with Jesus. I'm saying that he kicked the dust off the bottom of his sandals, got on the bottom of my pants. He was in the mountain with Jesus. He saw the glory of God. Jesus transformed right in front of his face. He heard God speak from heaven. This is the type of experience that he had. But he begins to continue in verse 19, said we have also a more sure word of prophecy. So more sure than hearing God speak from heaven, then seeing Jesus transformed in front of your face is this word of prophecy that the Holy Spirit gave to these men of old. And the thing we want to point out in this is that this word is more sure. That word sure is infirm, established, a foundational thing. So that's the first attribute we're going to focus on. The word of God is a foundational, it's sure, it's established, it's unmovable. And it's more sure than our own experience. Now let's think about this for a sec. We've been living. We got some people in here talking about how old they were. And when they done lived a full 22 years. (laughs) 
long life. I'm like, golly. Now you were born a little bit before my mom's. <laughs> and that's old. That mom's is very old. You got it beat. Long life. But through the process of this long, laborious 22 years, there have been some experiences. There has been some relationships. Some things good, some things bad that has impacted the way we view the world, the way we relate to people, the way we understand ourselves and our position and purpose in life. And what Peter is saying is, greater than any of those things, more sure, the thing to be established and founded upon more than any experience you ever had is the word of God. So let's just say you're reading in your book and God tells you something about yourself that completely goes against the understanding you have of who you are for these 22 years. Who do you believe? When you read the book, it's speaking of something that you have never seen. When it talks about you having a boldness that comes from the Holy Spirit and you've been timid for 22 years, it's hard for you to trust that. Because this experience is the thing that you have seen. This is the thing that you're familiar with. 22 years I've been timid. I've been afraid to speak and ask stuff from my own parents. Now I'm reading that the Holy Spirit came upon me and I got boldness. That I can speak and declare and decree and all that fancy stuff that people say. So who do I trust? Which one is more sure? The experience? Are the word of prophecy inspired by the Holy Spirit that is telling me who I am. And what we have to get to the places is that we see and understand that the more sure thing is the word of God. So that if I'm going to build and craft my identity, my perception of who I am, I build it on the word of God. Because that's the sure foundation. Are you understanding what I'm saying? So greater than any experience it's the word of God. And it goes, as we think about it, it goes throughout all of our lives. Most people going to tell you, once you get saved, you're going to spirit this thing. I remember a long time ago, walking up Fairview. He got stopped me, asked me for some money. Broke, man, ain't got no money. It's like, man, you don't just got to give me the money. Uh, buy a poem from me. I don't know if y'all ever seen this dude. He had a little poem on the colored paper in the sleeve. Like, man, let me see what you're talking about. I read that thing. It said something that's funny. Man, I ain't too sure about this. And we struck up a conversation. And he stopped me. I, I used to be like that. I used to be like that. See, you're young. You're young. You got that zeal. But it's going to fade. You're going to change. That just happened, man. That's life. And the word stuck with me for a long time. I walked my way all the way back to Gill Village thinking about what this man said. That you young, you crunk, you energetic, and you knew. So you got that zeal. And to see this dude in the predicament that he was, speech went all the way right. Might have been a little juiced up, I don't know. Like, it's possible for me to serve God and end up like that. Because he was just like I was, according to him. And the strange thing is, I spoke to a lot of different people. And they told me the same thing. You on, you got that zeal now. But just wait. It's going to fade. You're going to grow. I'm saying it, it happens. And apparently, this is the experience of a whole, whole lot of people. That you meet Jesus, you get saved, you run around, you crunk, you're excited. Then after a couple of years, you just exist. Just trying to make it. And this is their experience. And in the back of my mind, I started anticipating it. That one day I'm going to get sorry, I'm going to get lazy, I'm just going to be a regular old dude who goes to church. If I do that. But then I had to realize that what you went through 
don't mean nothing to me. Because your experience does not create reality, but the word of God does. And even greater than that, what I've been through doesn't create reality. Because my experiences are not sure. I am a corrupt man living in a corrupt world. So the end results of my life as a corrupt man living in a corrupt world will be corruption. And the only pure thing, the only sure thing is the word of God. So that's what we build our lives on. So anytime my experience does not match up to the word of God, which one do we trust? God's word. Because it is the more sure thing. Are y'all with me? So the word of God is sure. Go to John 17. John 17, start reading at verse 1. Said, these words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hours come, glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee. And thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. This is Jesus praying. What Jerry just referred to. Said, the hours come. So now is the time that we've been waiting for. Time for your feature, feature presentation. Glorify the Son, that the Son also may glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh. So, to the degree, just like you've given him power over all flesh. So, Jesus was given power by God the Father over all flesh. All humanity is under the power and authority of Jesus. What was the purpose of that? That he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. So the son of man has power over all flesh and God gave it to him so he can give eternal life to as many as he gave it to. So whoever give Jesus chooses to give eternal life to, they have eternal life. He has that power. Then in verse 3, he begins to describe what this life is. It said, in this life, and this is life eternal, that they may know thee, the only true God, in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. So Jesus came to give eternal life. And this is eternal life, the knowledge of God. So Jesus came to give the knowledge of God. So the thing that Jesus set forth to do is pour forth the knowledge of God. So we can read verse 2 this way. Says, thou hast given him power over all flesh that he should give the knowledge of God to as many as thou hast given him. So everybody who comes to Jesus, Jesus came to pour forth the knowledge of God. This is part of his prayer. This is the thing that he longed for. So our relationship with Jesus culminates in us knowing God. It's his job to reveal God to us, to exegete the Father for us. That's what he's doing. He's explaining them. And he's continuing to pray for the glory in the unity of these people. Go down to verse 17. Verse 15. We'll start at. Say I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world. But that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is true. So he's saying praying that you shouldest take take them out of the, not take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil one. So these ones, Jesus has given the knowledge of God to. He said they remain in the world. That's what we are in this world, this corrupt world. And his prayer is not that God take us out of the world, but that he should keep us from the evil one. So he wants there to be a separation and a distinction for us to live in this world, to not be of this world, but be protected from the evil one that runs and rules this world. Y'all see the picture. We're in this world, but we're hedged off. There's a protection. This is what Jesus is praying for. For God to keep us from the evil one. Are y'all understanding that? But watch the flow of his thought. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So in this hedge, in this protection, we're in this world. And Jesus is praying that we be separated. That we be distinct from the worst of this world. And the culmination of his prayer for this separation and this distinction is that God will sanctify us, set us apart. How? Through thy truth. So it's the truth of God that separates or sanctifies us from the rest of the world. Y'all seeing the picture? 
Because he's saying, we're in this world. These are the people with the knowledge of God. I have revealed them to you. I've glorified you to them. Keep them in this world, but protect them from the evil one. Hedge them about, surround them so that the evil one can't get them. And since they're in this world, just like I was, but they're not of this world. The world has no possession over them. The world has no power over them. They do not belong to the world. Sanctify them by your, your truth. Your word is true. So the thing that separates us from the rest of the world is the truth of God. And his word is what the truth is. And let's think about that for a minute. So God's word is sure. It's something that we can rest on. God's word is the truth. Now, we live in a world with access to billions and billions and billions of pieces of information. Everybody has an opinion and they can share it. You see Lots and lots of information about lots and lots of things. From the proper way to clip your toenails. <laughs> All the way to the billions of videos about hair on YouTube. I didn't realize it's like a whole industry. They should make a YouTube hair and just be its own channel. <laughs> From head to toe, we got information. And the vast majority of it it's not good. You got fools telling fools how to be fools. Y'all, y'all understand? And it creates identity. Let me help you understand a little bit. How many of you, this is for the men in the building, the old men, <laughs> older, older than 22. <laughs> <laughs> How many of you, because I know the women ain't foolish enough to do this stuff, you played a sport, or some of you were fighters, and you, before you got to it, you had like your tape that you went to. You put your tape in, and it crafted your whole mindset. Like I knew people that, that would fight, and before they fight, some of them de- depend on how they how they got down. Like when when Boys in the Hood came out, and the Boys in the Hood soundtrack was the thing pumping, they put that thing on and they be ready. Transform whole my whole face change. Now it's serious business. There's just a whole demeanor change just because they put that Boys in the Hood soundtrack on. And they get the picture in their mind. Or when they were going to avenge Ricky Delph, you know what I'm saying? They get, <laughs> they get the thing and they worked up. They ready. Because just that image itself has crafted an identity that you tap into. Uh, for my basketball players, I'm saying you got your tape, you get your hype music on, you got your game tape. You put your game tape in before you go into the arena. Because you had to listen to it right there in the car. <laughs> I wonder why iPhone MP3 player, none of that. So you and all your partners had to huddle up in that thing by six of y'all sitting up in that. <laughs> listening to that tape. <laughs> and it creates an energy. It creates a picture because those words, those things tap into an image that you have developed that shape your perception of who you are and how you're going to go in. Even the sorry joker that ain't going to play. He come out that thing, mean mug. Know what I'm saying? Cause he just got done listening to the chronic. <laughs> now he tough. Ain't going to get off the bench, but he ready. Anybody else ever done something like that? Alright, I just want to make sure I want the only crazy one. But there's a, there's a shaping that takes place through the words, through the culture, in the image that is attached to those things. Because it ain't just the songs and the beats, it's the whole image that's connected to it, it's the whole idea and the whole impression that it puts upon you. So it begins to shape how you walk, how you think, how you perceive yourself to be. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Because words has that power and that ability. 
and the things that we receive and the things that we accept as true has the power to shape us. And what Jesus is saying that is that we must be sanctified, set apart, cut off from the rest of this world, protected from the evil one by his word. Because his word is truth. So if ever we are conflicted about who we are, about how we're supposed to live, about what it is that true life is, our default setting must be to know and to understand that God's word is true. So ever you hear a headline that rattles your thought and your understanding that about how to raise your kids, about how it is that you're supposed to love your husband, so on and so forth. We filter everything through the word of God because God's word is the only thing that is true. Man's wisdom can come up with some good stuff, but it ain't truth. The standard of truth is God and his word. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? And it is as we accept this truth that we are sanctified, that we are set apart, that makes us stand out as strange and peculiar people in the midst of this crooked and perverse world. Just like, let me give you a small example. Now, this is what the Bible tells us, that we have a heavenly father that will never leave us, that will forsake us, that will provide all our needs according to his riches and his glory. Y'all believe that? The Bible says that. That's true. You're never alone. And all your needs will be provided by your heavenly father according to his riches and his glory. And they are so vast that they are eternal. His riches and his glory are. So you can have access to eternal resources so you will never be without. You will never lack any necessary thing. That's what that's the promise that we got. Now, one thing that makes us stand out in this world, according to Philippians, is that we can live life without murmuring and without complaining. Y'all, y'all, you with me? Without murmuring, without complaining. That's Philippians 4. I think it's verse 13. Do all things without murmuring and complaining. Now, show you how this connects. He said, if you do this, you will stand out. You will shine as children of light in the midst of this dark and perverse world, a dark and crook world. How could this be? Because the word of God is true. So the word of God told me that God going to provide for me. So once things get to go crazy, how often should I worry? Not at all. If I believe that the word of God is true. Because people are going to tell you that you have to do this and you got to do this and you got to live life a certain, certain, certain way. But we don't accept that because we know that the word of God is true. So when we get in those crunch times, when we get in those pinch times, if we believe the word of God is true, we can live a life without murmuring, without complaining. And we can obey one of the most repeated commands in the gospel. He said in two ways, fear not and worry not. That's deep. That's a command. Don't worry. And if we can live life like that, we live life completely different from the rest of the world. Because the world is ravaged by fear. And the world is ravaged through a whole lot of people who murmur, who complain. Who's always grumbling. No matter where you work. Everybody don't like their job. It just, it just go with the territory. Everybody got something bad to say. Because that's the world we live in. That's just nature of the beast. But we. Has a promise from the father. That he's going to guide us, he's going to lead us, he's going to provide us, he give us peace, contentment, and joy, and all that type of stuff, no matter where we're planning on this planet. So we have the possibility, if we believe that, to be in the midst of a crazy job that everybody else don't like, murmur and complain about, and still be joyous. Even if it's a job that don't, quote unquote, make you happy. Whatever that means. <laughs> you can do that. But the foundation of your ability to do that 
is if you believe that the word of God is true. Because people tell you you have to have a certain type of job if you want to be happy at your job. But God said we got joy all the time. So I don't have to have a certain type of job. Like people ask me one of the craziest questions. I still ain't figured out a way to answer this. Like, do you like your job? I'd be stuck in limbo. Like, I, I don't know what to say. <laughs> I really don't. I think one of my kids asked me that the other day. Like, do you like your job? Like, girl, ain't got to like no job. <laughs> so what does that mean? It don't matter if I like it or not. Because I'm going to be who I am anyway. So whether I'm the man in the parade scooping up the cow stuff. If that's my job, I can do it and I can sing and I can be happy. Because the word of God is true. That he's going to provide for me. That he give me joy deep down in my soul. Ain't that what we be saying? That's truth. But the world tell me you have to do these certain things. Like I got to go through a psychological study before I can apply for a job. You need to find your likes and your talents. You, you, you need to find your peculiar set. See, are are you, what what the little thing is? I can't even think of it now because it's foolishness. I had to do one of these at a church. I had to fill out this whole little thing by psychological profile type thing. They're trying to find my, my gifts and personality traits and all that type of stuff. And I was so confused by that test. I took it about four times. It got four different psychological profiles off that thing. <laughs> they said, you just confused. I am. I don't understand this stuff. <laughs> Can't no he to tell me who I am. He can't tell me my characteristics. He don't know the heart of man. Jesus does. So I can fill out this form as many times I want to. He ain't going to understand me. That's why that computer kept coming back confused. Because <laughs> he can't understand me. He can't put me in no range. Agree. Strongly agree. Somewhat agree. No, I can't figure out no stuff like either is right or is wrong. What that answer at? <laughs> but y'all understanding what I'm saying. But we have allowed the pressures and the dictates of this world to craft us. So we got certain things where certain authorities get to speak about certain things. In it, in it, squelches our ability to be different because we accept that stuff as true. That if you put doctor in front of your name, you can say and do whatever you want to. And nobody is going to question you. Like I said, I had a co-worker made the statement. She don't really know God, but she understood this. We were going through a lot of change over about the past five years. So a whole bunch of new philosophies and all these different people coming in with their bright ideas and it's changing everything. But when this stuff was first going down, the older lady, she's sitting there, and we're talking about the new change, and she say, how do you folk who ain't never raised a child finna come here and tell us about children? Then she went a little too far, but I understood where she was going, because she was older. She's like, even their parents ain't never raised no children. Because <laughs> they had a mammy. <laughs> All right, I'll with you at first. <laughs> you don't know how old folk can get. <laughs> but her idea was, and she was right on, that these people, has the authority to change and speak power over across the whole state of Alabama because they got some dots and dashes behind their name. And automatically now what they say is truth and every other thing country is discounted just because they got the right dots and dashes behind their name. And they can tell you by this evidence-based research that we have done. So you did some evidence-based research in Venezuela to teach me how to raise a child from Utah, Alabama. I don't think your study correlates. But it's truth because they said it. And we allow ourselves to be shaped by that. 
that certain authorities are not to be questioned. But I'm here to tell you that the only authority that cannot be questioned is the authority of the word of God. Go to Matthew chapter 19. God's word is sure. God's word is the truth. And God's word is what I just said. It's the only authority. Matthew chapter 19. We'll start at verse 1. Said it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee and came into the coast of Judea beyond Jordan. And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. Now, this is this is a heavy little chapter here as, as it continue to go. But I want you to notice what happened there. Jesus doing his thing, he healing people, showing his great power and his authority over bodies, over sickness and disease. Pharisees come to question Jesus about what is lawful, what is right, what is acceptable to be done. And immediately, Jesus goes to answer that question with what? Have you not read? So in the mind of Jesus, the things that settle disputes about what is lawful, about what is right, is what is written. That's how he debated the whole rest of the time. Have you not read? So the only way to answer this question is to understand what God has written. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? God's word is the final authority. And it is the thing that we go to lastly and above all. It's the word of God. Because it is sure and it is true which gives it its ultimate authority because God spoke it. So they debating. They were ready for a debate. And Jesus like, y'all need to read your Bible. <laughs> and begin to give a Bible study lesson on Genesis. To answer that question. Are y'all with me? So next time you and your wife arguing. And she wrong for the first time. You can say, have you not read? <laughs> <laughs> it worked for Jesus to try. <laughs> but my point my point is that the word of God is the final authority. But even in that context, on a true serious note. That is the, the mindset that have, we have to go into that union with. Don't nobody win. God wins. So when we have a dispute, let's go to the book. Let's talk about it. Why do you believe this way? Why do you think this way? And we have to have the maturity enough to be able to let the final word be the final word. And man, you have to have the understanding enough to know that you ain't the ultimate head. There's one head overall, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And if he's saying something different than what you're saying, you're wrong. Because the wives I submit to their husband as unto the Lord, are in the Lord. So there's an ultimate degree of authority. Then she can quote the scripture to you and say, you judge what is right. Are we to obey man rather than God? <laughs> Yes, sir. <laughs> but the idea that we go into is that the word of God is the ultimate authority. We don't use experience. We don't use secular culture. We don't use our own feelings and opinions. God's word is what determines what is real, what is right. Are you we understanding what we're saying? So when the apostle Jay and all his apostleship, if he say something wrong according to the Bible, you can say, hey, brother. You don't know what you're talking about. And he should say, well, show me. 
Now, if he respond to you, do not touch the anointed of God. Leave. <laughs> I'm telling you, leave. Flat three of his ties so he can't follow you <laughs> and leave. <laughs> because ain't no man the authority. I don't care how quote unquote anointed he's supposed to be. If the final say of what he's saying and what he's requiring you to do, what he's calling on you to do is his position, he wrong, leave. And we are in a place where we got these fools supposed to be leaders of God, destroying lives, misleading people, and the only thing they have to lean on is that I'm the man of God. And we should never be in that place. God is God. And he is the ultimate authority. So if your word, your revelation, anything is anything contrary to the word of God, you are wrong. Are y'all understanding what we're saying? And people get things all mixed up and twisted. That just because of his position, he deserves a certain level of, of, of leeway. No, if he wrong, he wrong. And the only thing that is the final authority is the word of God. Do we respect our elders? Yes. Do we respect those who rule well in the word of God? Yes. We submit to them, but only to the degree that they telling me what God said. And if they saying something other than what God says, even if I think they are, I have the right, I have the responsibility to question them. But I treat them as a father, like Paul said, you do it respectfully, but you know that the final authority is God's word. No dude, no institution. But God. So question everything. Line it up with the word of God. It's the only authority. No bishop, no priest, no pope. God's word. Just like Jesus. When they question us, we should go back to the book. When we respond to certain things in a certain way, we should have a reason why we do so. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? Because God's word is the only sure foundation to build your life upon. God's word is the only true, the measuring stick, the truth, the, the formation of reality that we have to hold to. And it's the final authority over all things that pertains to life and godliness. It's the word of God. So real quickly, we're going to focus on one. And we'll finish this up next time. How do we benefit from this word? What type of heart, what type of mindset should we have? Go to First Peter. First Peter chapter one. First Peter chapter one, verse 22. Now watch this. It's going to get a little, a little, um, maybe a little uncomfortable for some. It says sing. All right, let's, let's back up a little bit. Go to verse 16. I'm going to read this good little pit. It says, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, past the time of your sojourning here in fear, for as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the traditions of your Father, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Just make sure you, you, you're tracking with me. This is this Peter. He, he, he gets some deep teaching. He's going to get a little deeper as we go, but I want to point out some things, show you the correlation as we go. Now, he go into his command to be holy. And the thing he used for his command to be holy, in verse 16, he told him to be holy in all manner of conversation. That word conversation ain't the word like we use it today. It means all manner of behavior, interactions, the way you relate to people. Everything you're supposed to be holy in because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. So since God is holy, we're connected to him. We got to be holy. That's what it says in the book. It says, and if you call on the father who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, past the time of your sojourning here in fear. So God, without respect of persons. So God don't discriminate when he judge. And he going to judge according to every man's what? Work. That's deep. We ain't going to stay there too long, but I want you to see that. Without respect to persons, God judges according to every man's what? Work. What you do. That's how God going to judge you. Now, I know you might have heard that when you stand before the Father and you 
enter into the judgment room, God is going to ask you, did you believe in my son? That ain't what Peter said. Peter said, God going to judge without respect to person. He ain't going to show no partiality, no discrimination. Every man's work. So what you do, that's what he's going to judge. Pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. Let's keep going. It says, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversations received by the tradition of your father. So we were redeemed from our vain conversations, our empty, our useless way of life, but in one with corruptible things. But watch what we were redeemed by. But with the precious blood of Jesus Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So we were redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Y'all see that? We were redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We were brought back, reconciled to God by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and your hope might be in God. So this is Jesus. He was revealed for you and to you as those who believe. That your faith and your hope may be in God. Now this thing can get a little deep now. It says, seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. So you have purified your souls. How did you do it? In obeying the truth. How did you do that? Through the spirit. So our souls have been purified. How? Because we obeyed the truth. What is the truth? The word of God is true. So you obeyed the word of God. Through the spirit. Unto an unfeigned. Or unhypocritical love. Or or not fake love. A real love for your brethren. That's what the outflow it is. So through faith. We receive the spirit. Through the spirit. We obey the truth. And through obedience of the truth. Our soul is purified. And that leads us to an unfeigned love for the brethren. So we love one another truly. By believing in Jesus, which gives us the spirit and the spirit gives us obedience and the obedience purifies us so that we can truly love. Y'all, y'all see that picture. So the truth is a big part of this thing. Said being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So we love one another with a pure heart fervently being born again, not of corruptible seed but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So we're redeemed we're by the blood of Jesus Christ. And here he, he makes a strange statement to us. Say so you're being born again. So through this act of obedience, through the spirit, you are being born again. But how are you being born again? Not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God. So you are being born again by what? The word of God. Y'all see that? So the word of God is producing new life into you. It is forming you and making you a brand new creature. The word of God. So new birth is taking place by the scriptures. So I think that it's important for us to know the word of God. And why does it get a little bit deeper? For all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof fadeth away, falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. God's word is eternal. It endures forever. And this word is the gospel that Peter and all them guys preach. And this word lives in us, and it produces new life within us. It's the word of God. So you can't be ignorant of it and continue to grow as a Christian. That's why we continue to read. Watch this. Chapter 2. said, wherefore, because of all the stuff I'm saying, for these reasons, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and evil speaking. So because we've been born again, because we've been redeemed, because we've been commanded to be holy in all our conversations because God is holy, we need to put aside all these stuff. All malice. That's just badness. You put it aside. All guile, that's deceit. You lay it aside. Hypocrisies, being phony, fake, acting like you're something that you're really not. Envy is in evil speaking. Say so you lay all this stuff aside. Now watch this. You notice what he said. Laying it aside. You got a water bottle right there, bro. Lay it to the side, bro. 
You just laid it down. Just like that. Just like that. Lay it to the other side. So you sit it. You ain't lay it. You don't know how to listen. <laughs> just like that. And according to Peter, since we've been redeemed, since we're called to be holy in all our manner of conversation, since we're being born again by the word of God, through the spirit of God, that's how we're supposed to do lying, evil speaking, envyings, all that stuff. Just lay it aside. Just like that. You can take it. Just lay it aside. Just do it like that. Lay it aside. Lay it aside. Don't set it aside. You might pick it back up later. Uh, if you get on the ground and dirty, y'all, germaphobes, all that stuff, so you ain't gonna pick it back up. <laughs> now, if you choose, you gotta throw it out, so they pick up everything. <laughs> but you just lay it aside. Now, he put this in conjunction with verse 2. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if so be you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So in the process of laying it aside, while you laying this aside, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word of God that you may grow thereby. Now this is a strange thing that 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 Paul that Peter is telling us to do. And y'all don't even realize how strange it is. Because he's commanded you to want something. That don't work. That just does not work. How can he command you to want something? He said, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk word, he's telling you to desire it. And that word desire, it means to crave for, to long for, to pursue after. So just like sometimes you just have, like what, what, what the folks say, a hankering <laughs> for chocolate or ice cream. He's saying that, that you can use that same word as newborn babes crave the word of God. But how in the world is he going to tell me to want something? Because wanting and desire is something you can't control. Anybody else been that? You want it. You just want it. You don't know why you can't explain it. You just got a, a taste for it. And he commanding you to have that same type of desire for the word of God. And that gets us a little bit in trouble if we truly think about this. God, how are you going to command me to want? He can say, as newborn babes pursue the word of God. See, we can understand that a little better. I got to go. Whether I feel like it or I don't feel like it, I got to go after it. But he didn't say that. He said, crave it, desire it, long for it. So how can you obey a command that's dictated on something that you cannot control? But he paints the picture. Thing get real deep. Because he said you're supposed to do it as newborn babes. And that newborn babes is firstborn or just born. A thing not yet seen before baby. And the amazing thing about newborn babes is they desire to eat. Almost immediately after they take in their first breath on their own. You just smack it. <laughs> they come out smacking all that blood and everything down there. <laughs> smacking their lips like, oh, you don't know that nasty. <laughs> but it's innate in who they are. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? In that same way. We're supposed to be with the word of God. Now, this, 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 this is what put us in a peculiar position. Because if I don't long for it, like a newborn baby longs or desires to eat, I must question, have I been born? Because there's no baby born that don't want to eat. There's no baby born that does not crave the milk of his mother. And we're supposed to be that same way. And so the command that he's putting in us is a command that com should compel us, that should push us to first evaluate our hearts. 
And secondly, to cry out to the only person that can make us that way. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? That we're so oversaturated with church and we connected the word of God to this institution of church and it's somewhat laborious and necessary that we have lost the zeal and the passion and the desire for it. But we're commanded to want it. It shouldn't be something you have to force feed yourself. Just like that baby. Can't even latch on. Mama hurt. Trying to get it. And anything that looked like it may possibly feed him, he go after it. Daddy pick him up. He latching on to his shirt. <laughs> well, that's all he want to do. Sleep or eat. So if you wake me up, you're time to feed me. That's a newborn baby. And that's how we supposed to be. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? Job chapter 23 verse 12. Job made this crazy statement. He said, I have esteemed your word above my necessary food. That's deep. So I lift up the word so high that it's more important to me than my necessary food. The stuff I need to live. Go to Psalms 119. Let me put your eyes on this. Psalms 119. I think it's verse 127. Yeah, 127. It said, therefore, I love thy commandments above gold, yea, above fine gold. This is the psalmist. So he loved God's commandments above gold, yea, uh, show enough, above fine gold. That, that, that looks sort of deep. Like I said, the same that song, Silver and Gold, I'd rather have Jesus and all that stuff. Kirk Franklin did his thing. That's cool. And, and most of us, how many of y'all heard song that song before? Let me see. Who ever sung it? All right, here's a couple of y'all. Then song is Silver. Y'all, y'all done did it. You close your eyes like you really mean and all that good old stuff. <laughs> You'd rather have Jesus than Silver and Gold. That's deep. And most of the time when we say that, we're talking about this mystical, spooky idea of me and Jesus in this somewhat undefined relationship. But Jesus made this crazy statement in John chapter 5. He said, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have life. They be the things that speak of me. That's deep. Search the scriptures for in them you think you have life. They be the things that speak of me. So in the mind of Jesus, searching through these scriptures is looking for Jesus. We're longing for him. We're desiring him. We're seeking after him. Because we're born again through the spirit of God. But Peter said we're born again through the word of God. Because there's no distinction in the mind of God between him and his word. Because his word is a revelation of himself. So if we truly rather have Jesus than silver and gold, we rather get in his book than have silver and gold. We rather say like Job that I esteem your word above my necessary food. We believe like Jesus that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceed out the mouth of God. That's a longing. That's a desire that we're commanded to have. Are y'all with me? We need to be able to repeat some of the stuff. Like read Psalms 119. Read the whole thing. Look at the cool stuff he say. The whole thing is about the word of God and his love for his precepts. And he talk about the whole thing. And he said a whole bunch of cool stuff. About him hiding the word. About him loving the word. Him esteeming it. Him longing for it. And this is the type of people we're supposed to be. But once again, I ask the question, how can God command us to want something? It's because if we find God, he puts that desire in us. Are y'all with me? So let's be the people of the book. Let's be people who long for God, who truly desires the word of God, that we may grow. Because how many of y'all want to grow?
Everybody want to grow. Everybody want to be a mature Christian. Whatever that means. We all want to be that. So that means everybody want to get in this book. That's what that means. Because he gave you a command and a promise. Desire it that you may grow. So the reason you desire is you grow by it. So if you want to grow, you got to get the desire. But you say, I ain't got the desire. Who the only person that can give it to you? God, the one who wrote the book. Just like he the only one that can make you love like you're supposed to love, he the only one that can make you long like you're supposed to long. And if we seek God, he reveals himself. But the primary place of revelation is through his book. So let's examine our hearts and see do we truly desire it or is this cool thing we got to do every now and then because we're Christian. Anybody got any questions? How does a desire for the actual written scriptures themselves connect with the verses that talk about him writing the law on your heart? And so a person seeking after, you know, hearing from Holy Spirit directly or seeking Holy Spirit outside of, or in, I'll say outside of for now, outside of digging into the scriptures. Like, What would you say to that person? So make sure I understand your question. <clears throat> So, is should a person seek, or is it? Make sure. Let me let me rephrase. Yeah. So some folk will seek after a deeper, exclusive relationship with Holy Spirit, um, exalting that relationship above spending time studying, digging into the scriptures, and maybe even they might separate those things. They may think of them differently. How would you? What would you say to that? Okay, now, now I understand. First off, if it was somebody that I was able to sit down with, and it's something we may do, I would have to show him and demonstrate that God doesn't separate himself as some other entity from his revelation of himself. Because the only way we can know God is through God revealing himself. And what he has demonstrated is that uh, he's given us promise. We looked at it last week in Corinthians where it talks about that as we behold him through the scriptures. And that was talking about the Old Testament scriptures. We're transformed to that same image from glory to glory. So all the promises connected to being like God and drawing close to God is connected to the revelation of who God is in containing the scriptures. Even when Acts 17, when Paul was preaching, the Bereans was esteemed as being more noble than all the rest of them. Why were they more noble? Because they say they searched the scriptures daily to see whether the things that he told them were so. So God esteems his word to such a high degree that I get leery or, 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 or cautious of somebody whose desire or relationship with God is exclusively apart from that because we don't see that demonstrated through the scriptures. That we're always pushed back to the word of God. We're always pushed to his commandments. We're always pushed to his law. One of the first things Jesus did after he resurrected and sat down with his disciples was have Bible study. He took them from Moses through the prophets to show them everything concerning himself. Like at this time, if it was a time to really push them and say, now y'all go forth, the Spirit going to come, and you just do what you do, I'm going to be there with you, that was the time to do it. But instead, he sat them down and had Bible study. Started at Moses, went all the way through Malachi to show them the things concerning himself. So it seems to be an import or importance for us to know God through the Scriptures. And we have that same thing in the life of Jesus. Jesus had direct revelation with God. He had direct connection to God. Matter of fact, he was God. But when he dealt with life, he always went back to the book. Even in his time of temptation, he quoted scripture. He could have used some great power to rebuke the devil and, and did some magical exorcism and incantation to get rid of that devil. He just starts quoting the Bible. Like, Jesus, man, you boring, dude. Like... <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you pluck a piece of hair and throw it at him like boom show the power of God <laughs> but 
there's a, a, a connection between the word of God in his scriptures because people look at you know, the paper that's the dead thing and we want the rhema word of God maybe we'll do that too I forgot most of y'all come from charismatic churches <laughs> so we can go through the difference between rhema and logos <laughs> and see if there's that deep difference that we were taught in church short answer is not <laughs> go ahead like we know a bunch of people that read the Bible. Like we know that's a thing. Like people mm-hmm. read the Bible, but like it doesn't translate a lot of the times into like lifestyle change or even thinking differently. But they don't believe in Holy Spirit mm-hmm. and dwelling either. So is it that the two are supposed to intertwine? Like when you talk about seeking the word right, the Bible, reading the scripture, like, can you even understand it apart from the Holy Spirit? No. Like I said, Second Corinthians tells us that the Bible is spiritually discerned. The natural man cannot discern the things of God, but we have the mind of Christ through his spirit. And the other one we talked about where it says that where the spirit of God is, there's liberty. So the spirit of God gives us that liberation. It sets us free from the blinders and the blockers that keep us from understanding and knowing the word of God. But there are some hindrances that we're going to talk about probably next week that crushes people from truly benefiting from the word of God. Because you do know them people that just read the Bible and they read and read and like you still a heathen. But there are some things that, that crush that. And there's some ways we're supposed to be when we go to the word that maximize our ability to benefit from the word. And that's why this is the first one, that we have to desire it, just like a newborn babe. And a lot of people do it out of obligation. A lot of people do it out of curiosity. But we need to go for it out of a longing to know God. And that's what compels us to go to it. But finally, yeah, it's the anointing that we receive that teaches us all things, that gives us understanding of the word of God. So you can't understand it if you don't got no spirit. So people who don't believe in being indwelt with the spirit are people who cannot benefit from the Bible. It's just a dead book. Go ahead. Okay. Oh, uh, yes. Um, got that grown man, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I hear a lot about um, once saved, you're always saved. Mm-hmm. And you can never lose your salvation. Is that true? Uh, yeah, this this is one that comes up a, a whole, whole lot. Like I said, it's one we can sit down another time and wrestle all the way through it to you, but I give you the short answer. Is that the Bible teaches a couple things. That once salvation, once you believe, you have eternal life. And that is the eternal life of the Father always living and always dwelling within you. And it also teaches that nobody can take you out of his hand. That you wouldn't. That he's the great shepherd. Nobody can take you out of his hand. But it also gives many warnings to the believers. It tells us that we don't follow that to the same example. That we need to exhort one another. That we don't go after the same example of unbelief that the children of Israel went through. It tells us about the warning that when we turn from such a great salvation as this. All the judgments that don't come. So we have to hold both of those into the same level of esteem because they both are the word of God. Now, when it comes to this once saved, always saved, this idea of eternal security, it's a tricky question because it's a fake question. It's a question that you don't get from reading the Bible. Because if you read the Bible, it tells us a couple of things about people who are saved. One, that they love people. Two, that they pursue holiness. And three, their hearts are completely devoted to God. These are people who are truly saved. They have repented of all their sins and gave everything to God. Now, when you talk about this once saved, always saved thing is, you get this category of people who have not repented, whose heart is not truly yielded to God, who don't truly love people with everything that they got. But they still get to be accepted as Christians. The Bible don't talk about such people. 
So to create a category and to have a whole theological construct that includes a group of people the Bible don't talk about is to create a whole nother Bible. Because the Bible don't talk about these people. Only things it tells us is that sinners must repent and that only the righteous shall enter the kingdom of heaven. So the way I process it in my mind, am I eternally secure? Yes, I am. I'm eternally secure by the Father. He going to keep me. He going to make sure that he preserve me, keep me blameless unto the day and the coming of Christ Jesus. That's his job. If I sin, I need to start over and pursue Jesus because he's my advocate with the Father, not anything else. So I don't rely on my baptism. I don't rely on my confession. I don't rely on repeating after the preacher. I rely on Jesus. That's all we got. Sinners need to repent. Sinners need to be turned. That if you find a brother in sin, you convert him. You train, you take him back. You get him away from sin. So if by once saved, always saved, we mean is it possible for me to be a sinner and still go to heaven? Bible don't talk about that. If by once saved, always saved, we mean that it's possible for me to believe in Jesus and he keep me all the way into the day of redemption? Yes, that is true. Yeah, that makes a little sense to you. But if we got this category, sinners repent. So I don't care what you believe about once saved, always saved. You can't go to heaven if you're a sinner. Only the righteous shall enter the kingdom of God. And we can track that out another time, all the way step by step. But Alright. Any other questions? That's it. They all yours.